0: This is Know-It-All. Welcome to Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education. Many thanks again to D.C. High School student Trayvon for our theme music. We aim to make you, our listeners, know-it-alls about education law, policy, and practice that affect you. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I am a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity in public education. Keep up with me on my website at alisonbrownconsulting.com. I am thrilled to be a Blog Talk Radio featured host. Be sure to follow Know It All at blogtalkradio.com. Today we are talking about the autism spectrum. My guests are Carrie Dillman and Marquiseon McKinney of Learn Behavior Consultation Services. Where Carrie is the president and lead behavior analyst and Marquisian is a Level 1 ABA tutor. We're also joined by Tamara Kasavian, a mom to an autistic child. Good morning everyone. Welcome to Know It All. Good, Good morning. morning. So Carrie, will you start by telling us what exactly autism is?
1: Um definitely. Autism is a disorder that's characterized in multiple degrees. Um what you'll look what people look for is difficulties in social interaction, verbal and nonverbal communication, and repetitive stereotypical type behaviors. Um, there's actually been a recent change in what people look for when they are diagnosing autism. Um, There used to be separate disorders. Sometimes you'll, you'll, that's one thing that's really unique and challenging about um, autism is every child is so unique, and even some of the things they present with are so unique. There's these basic characteristics that you work from, but beyond that, everything is so individualized for the child's needs and for, what you're looking at when you see the disorder. But there were things like Rett syndrome and childhood disintegrative disorder, pervasive developmental disorder, NOS, um, Asperger's. All of those things used to be separate diagnoses when you would look at autism, but now it's going to fall under one umbrella under the new DSM, um, the DSM-5. So what they're looking at is really just any of those characteristics, and they want to see that happening at an early age, so children who have these early symptoms before three years old is what is really gearing towards seeing these difficulties with maybe making eye contact, not gaining their words, um, and developmentally appropriate milestones, and those are kind of the warning signs that you may see later social and behavioral difficulties as time goes on.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Carrie, what exactly do you do at Learn Behavior Consultation Services?
1: Well, at LEARN, we really work towards developing what we call full-circle support for families, where we really um, believe that with ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, being the only evidence-based treatment for children on the spectrum, that we really want to provide them support in all areas, that their environment and their opportunities can be opened. So, for example, I know some people's perception of Applied Behavior Analysis is sitting at a table and just doing flashcards with a child, Although sometimes that's necessary for some of the things that we do, that's not the only thing that we do to support families. We go to schools and try to support them in creating consistency in the programming from what we're doing at home to what we do um, in the school setting. We go into the community and help to learn basic life skills and communication and social skills that may become more naturally to everyone else that need specific training. Um, And sometimes just the parenting piece of it isn't as natural as what it would be because there's just a systematic way to approach some of the learning in these areas. And so we'll go to the malls with the families, and we'll go to camps and swim classes. And, and sometimes we're just working at home, working on developing those core skills to transfer what we can use in the community and in these other settings, because we really want all of the kids that we work with and the families to have these individual goals so that they can get to the best and the most things that they can do. hmm
0: Marquisian, Carrie mentioned a few already, but what are some of the uh, behaviors um that we see manifested in children who have autism? Um
2: well some of the well some of the mild adaptive behaviors you can see um would be um aggression, um, uh, SIV, uh SIB, which is uh, uh self injurious behavior. Um uh, uh you can you will also see some other behaviors like uh just some failure failure to cooperate you know not not underst- uh kids just not understanding what uh mom and dad are requesting uh, um, some other things you may see uh with a child with autism is uh, uh, it it can it can i'm sorry it can uh goes across the spectrum you can see any type of behavior can turn into a mild adaptive behavior uh, whether it be uh inappropriate bathrooming uh, uh I guess it kind of just range it uh goes across the spectrum um when it comes to behavior any anything can be turned into a mild adaptive behavior if it if it's to avoid a avoid a uh situation or something like that.
1: I would say one. mm -hmm. Okay, sorry, go ahead. ahead. I'm just going to mention that one probably behavior that really stands out and um, for children with autism that separates from other disorders would be that Mm -hmm. stereotypical repetitive behaviors, and that can look Mm -hmm. like in physical manifestations. It can also look like verbal rigidity and repetitive behavior. For example, you may see a child spinning a car and sitting on the ground and just spinning a car around and around instead of playing with it appropriately. Or you may Mm -hmm. see them staring off at their fingers while just moving their fingers in front of their eyes. Or they may just be able to only talk on one subject and not really Mm -hmm. be able to get off of that subject or say the same, repeat the Mm -hmm. same phrases over and over again. And that's something that's very typical of this autism spectrum.
0: Mm Yes. And then, Carrie, how is autism assessed? Is it just the behaviors, or are there other ways to assess autism?
1: Well, right now there's a, a lot of research has been pouring into the diagnosis of autism, and there is some early research now that are finding some genetic markers for um, that are predictors kind of of the of the evidence of autism. It's not as cut and dry as like a Down syndrome marker right now, but those are becoming. And the research is really pouring into looking at, at that link and trying to get families to participate in these genetic studies. There's suggestions that some um prenatal there may be some prenatal um occurrences that may contribute that maybe to limited risk sickness during prenatal care or different things that may contribute to to that but so they're looking at there's a lot of things that may contribute to the occurrence of it. And when they're talking about diagnosis, a lot of times you want to have a – I really recommend for families to try to get multiple people involved, to get to go to your pediatrician, and your pediatrician oftentimes is doing your developmental milestone checks. If you're seeing delays and you're seeing concerns, um, don't keep waiting for it to get worse before you go and see a developmental pediatrician or – to seek advice of someone who a psychologist who can look further into doing some more specific um doing the mchat or doing different toddler checklists that are looking for specific delays and targets because it, it's not every single pediatrician that specializes in being able to diagnose autism so i'd say one of your biggest things you'll look for is delays in the milestones that you're reaching up to 36 months and if you're seeing lots of delays and you know that you're not with a pediatrician that maybe has a specialization in there, seek one within your group mm-hmm. or seek a developmental pediatrician out, and they can really help you to to target whether it's autism or if there's some other developmental delay that may be contributing.
0: Mm-hmm. Tamara, you are an incredible mom to two wonderful children, one of whom is autistic. Will you describe for us your experience of
3: raising an autistic child? Yes. um, First of all, I couldn't be incredible without all the people who um, are in our lives. So I have a very supportive family, including a sister-in-law who basically, you know, sacrificed her life to help us with SARGE. And also, the school system, as far as I'm concerned, Fairfax County is one of the best and is known for being one of the best. Um, The reason we were able to find um, Carrie and Marquision was because of a teacher who knew um another parent who used their services and we were able to find them through this teacher. So it's been for us, we were fortunate where we live and the family and friends um and the school system we are um able to utilize um has been very helpful to us. But anyway, it's um it's a it's a, that's a very uh uh Important question: How it's been for us? But I think each family knows how difficult it is to raise children. But to have a child with autism is a is very different from any other experience. And um, um, he's nine years old now, and he has a twin sister. But um, and it, it's it's literally a day to day kind of situation for us. So um, for us, it's been wonderful to have um, Serge. Um, at the same time, it's been a challenge on a daily basis. And, um, uh, you know, we have been, like I said, lucky to have a lot of support, and I think that's kind of a critical aspect of of um, making sure your child uh, uh, develops successfully in the way you think he should.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Tamara, what, what specific things do you do at home to support your
3: son? Well... Um, like I said, we do have um you know a wonderful network of family and friends, and um every day um we have to make sure that Serge goes through the process of becoming more and more independent, and we've been able to do that because of um the tutors Marquision and Carrie have been there with us, and uh they've been giving us tools to help Serge, for example, um, for him to go to the bathroom. We had to set up a protocol for him to learn how to use the restroom. Other children, his sister, was able to develop, you know, normally, and we were able to teach her how to use the toilet. But with Serge, there were specific um, protocols for that. It was using stickers. It was using incentives. It was using, um, like, a DVD player Um, many kind of incentives for him to use the restroom. Um, For example, if we had a hard time, one of our first, I remember one of our first challenges was getting Serge to sleep through the night. And it was very painful for us because he would get up through the night and wake everyone up and um, we'd have to go through a protocol to kind of get him to sleep. And it was, that's something you do when, usually when they're little babies, but, this is like within the last couple of years we you know and he he was around 7 years old um and he finally started getting it last year um but anything food i mean we have food related issues he doesn't eat a lot and and we're still working on that he eats a very limited diet of food and it's been that those kinds of things that you take for, for granted when you don't have a special needs child it becomes your everyday it's it's every day so um, yeah, that's just examples of what we're, we're doing at home.
0: Mm-hmm. And then Marquisian,
3: what can educators do
0: in school to support children with autism? Um,
2: educators in school to support autism uh, things they can things they can do uh, is uh, I guess basically do do assessments on. Uh, assessments on, you know, uh, reading, speech, um, and get them the extra therapy and support that they need within school, um, uh, whether it's, uh, behavioral, uh, ABA or, you know, maybe it's a speech therapist or a, uh, a physical therapist or a, or a, uh, speech therapist. Um, I think those things are really great for children in school, um, I mean for kids who who i think there are some kids that really benefit from those kind of uh, therapies in school uh you know having behavioral plans and uh those types of things, and just having a uh supportive uh family structure that that supports what's going on at school and at home uh so that it's so that uh you know they intertwine so so it's easier for to go from home to home to school for for that child. I think that's something, uh, something that schools, you know, that that's good things for schools to know. Um, teachers and and administrators. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: Carrie, do you, um, when you are working with families, are you also helping them partner with the the teachers and and staff at this? The, their children's school,
1: yes, we work hard to provide whatever level of support is welcomed by the school district that we um that the child that we're working with is a part of um it really varies per school district um, about their policies, but what we really we're always available to do observations to consult and provide consistency. Um, With the program that we're doing, we have uh, frequent connections with many teachers and are in the classrooms really providing, like, dual support. We've had teachers come into our sessions and observe so that we can just really, as much as possible, create that consistency. Because the consistency in the programming and the structure that you create um, when trying to train these skills that aren't so naturally learned in the regular social or educational environment, um, as much as you can create that consistency across environments, the rapid learning is going to occur. It's going to just be so much stronger, and you're going to have more long-term effects from it. So we we really work to create positive working relationships with the school so that they can see that we're definitely not there to say that anything that they're doing is wrong. We're there to see what's going really well there and what's going well at home and to put those things together to make the most success.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So does that mean that some of the the incentives that Tamara mentioned you're you're carrying over into the academic program as well?
1: Yes, um definitely. We do um preference assessments to determine what the hierarchy of uh preferences would be, what's going to be the most powerful thing to use to really motivate um and to create opportunities for training behaviors. And when we go in and we look at the, the difficult piece to to this scenario sometimes can be is what we look at a lot is the function of a behavior. Why is it happening, not just what's happening. We, um, what the function of it may be in home, perhaps maybe attention, trying to get attention from somebody, may be different mm-hmm. in school. In school it might be escaping something. So that's a good way that we can often contribute is being an outside source to observe this, knowing what these high-level preferences are that may, they may not always er- have naturally just in their educational environment and show them how we can systematically put that in place to motivate those appropriate behaviors in school. Mm-hmm. And they've been really flexible and really um, we've had a lot of success with many schools incorporating and just using that collaborative piece to create consistent programming.
0: Mm-hmm. Tamara, you also have a daughter. You mentioned that Sarah has a twin sister. Yes. what do you do to make sure that
3: she gets the attention she needs at home right um it's yes and they are twins so they're the you know same age and i i do think she her name's Gabrielle she still struggles with her role in the family because um we do spend so much time with Serge and then she sees Um, you know, that we take him places where he needs additional help or the tutors come, you know, Marquisian comes and Carrie comes over and they're working with Serge. So she sees the attention and she's still young where she kind of doesn't understand, you know, why he needs so much help. So (laughs) she does compare herself and there's some acting out and I think that's typical for any family with any children, but um, she thinks, you know, like she said to me the other day, she said, oh, I'm not special like Serge. You know, he gets a lot of attention. I'm mm-hmm. not like him. And I try to explain to her, you know, she's very special and that, you know, we love her very much and has nothing to do with her comparing herself to Serge. But we try to incorporate her with working with Serge as much as we can. So if when we're playing games with him, we try to include her. We want her to even lead the games at times. Um, we just want them to enjoy each other as brother and sister. and Mm -hmm. and kind of forget about the rest of it. So if there's an opportunity for them to go play or swim together or sing songs or anything, we want them to get closer as siblings. Mm -hmm. And we also think it's important for her to have her time with her little friends and have her time with us individually. So we'll take Mm -hmm. her places by ourselves or we'll go to her activities you know, just her and kind of enjoy her. And we want her to understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's different having a child with special needs in the family, but I think it can be a very special thing for her as she gets older. And I think she's becoming more aware of people and their needs and treating people with differences, you know, with respect and understanding them. Mm-hmm. So I think she's going to be a better adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do
0: they interact? How do Sarah and Gabrielle interact? You another. know,
3: you know, early on uh, when they were younger, I'd uh, say like in that five, six age, they didn't interact as much because Serge was kind of very much in his own world. And we were trying to still figure out what w- we were doing. We didn't know anything, really. And we had the school who had an autism program for Serge, but we didn't have experts in our lives at that time, and like I said, mm-hmm. Carrie and Marquisian came in and kind of said, okay, you've been doing everything wrong, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to start over. So luckily they came and and helped us, and I wish more families had access to um, tutors like them, and I, I wish that was the case. But anyway, so um, uh, when they were younger, there was less interaction. As uh, Serge got better at communicating with all the, the work that they did with Serge and all the all the sessions we've had, he's been better with socializing with other children. So he likes to be in, with Gabrielle. So he'll go to her room and hang out with her, or he'll say, "Gabrielle, come with me." You know. So we've noticed this change in him socializing with his family, his cousins, his um, neighbor, the neighborhood kids. I mean, he really wants to be around other children, and it's not exactly how. A uh, typical developing child would socialize, where they, you know, engage, you know, kind of regularly and have this kind of back and forth. But it's uh, actually it's been really good for him to even want to be in the same room as the other children. So I, it's mm-hmm. getting much better now. It's definitely changing. Mhm. Marquisean is
1: great as well to to be um, an advocate for herself and for her brother whenever we come into the to the house to help. I mean there's been multiple times that she's come to me and said, Miss Carrie, can I talk to you about something? And I'll tell her, sure, what do you need to what do you what do you want to talk about? And she'll tell me like sometimes this happens with Serge or sometimes I have trouble when this mm-hmm. happens or I really want him to be able to learn this. And so it's been I think that Tamar and Hagop have done an amazing job helping her to see that she really is a part of, like, it's a family team and that she really wants to contribute and see him successful and create that relationship with him because she seeks us out to see how to help build, make progress in areas that maybe she doesn't know how to help with her brother.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a behavioral tutor, are there things that you share with families about how to really cultivate this um this sense of ownership of the family and this sense of belonging within the family for siblings of autistic children.
2: Yes, yes, definitely. Um, I think with my experience I the little experience that I've had, uh, uh, I think I think what what Learn helps to helps to do is to, to really it's a it's a uh, you know it's a circle. So we want to involve the, the family. Uh, The family I think One of the big I think one of the big things When you start a program uh, uh, Like Like Learn And you start with us Is uh, That the family Doesn't necessarily Understand all the work That it may take to uh, That's going to take everyone You know It takes It takes Sisters It takes brothers It takes moms It takes dads It takes us uh, To help to get You know The child Where Where you want them to be, or to to improve on whether it's uh, uh, small small behaviors or or large behaviors, or or um, just just social behaviors, um, just social uh, interactions with people. So um, I think that's one thing we do. We we help families to understand that it it takes more than just, uh, and it's not just us. Uh, I think Tamara Tamara and the uh, Casabianos have done a great job with with uh with helping to to get to search to the to the point he has and improve improve. Uh, it it is it just isn't learned. It's, it's it's about the family, it's about all the all the it's about the family, the, the school, the teacher, everybody interacting together, uh and becoming basically one to to um, to improve, to help Serge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with yeah that's been, that's that's basically it.
0: Mm-hmm. Carrie, I, I feel like um and I'm remembering a case that I had when I was an attorney at the Department of Justice, um, an autistic child who um was going to school, he was not um able to communicate verbally. So um his 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 parents had worked out an arrangement with the school and um you know, he was in I think third grade um at the time. And um, his mother reluctantly would drop him off and leave him at school every day. Um, And it turns out that he was um, having tantrums during the day. Uh, And so the school, not knowing what to do, would put him by himself, would isolate him in the school cafeteria in a kind of crudely constructed box um, where He'd have to spend the day, and his mother found this out on a on a surprise visit that she did to the school and there was a lawsuit after that um but i I think autism is one of the most misunderstood uh disabilities, and that there is this stigma that comes with it um is it is that true have Have you seen that too and then is it undiagnosed because of that stigma? Does it go undiagnosed uh, in large numbers?
1: Do you what what kind of stigma do you, are you referring to?
0: <clears throat> Socially, social stigma.
1: Sure. Um I think that there's probably I, I imagine there's a lot of contributing factors to sometimes the diagnosis not a diagnosis not being in place for for a child with autism. I I think sometimes there is uh, I really do feel that you're right on target, that there sometimes is a misunderstanding and people sometimes have a fear of their child being diagnosed with autism or even maybe making the suggestion to a family or saying, like, we may want to look into this a little more, because this um, there's just now a, a wealth of adults that are transitioning into getting to a place of needing services, and this is kind of unfamiliar territory um, for Clinicians and for the community, and so I think a lot of families just don't know what that label will mean for the long term. And so, getting the label of autism, I try to encourage families if I'm in a scenario where I see that it would be a good, um, it would be a good idea to pursue looking towards a diagnosis. I always say, a diagnosis doesn't mean that it's going to limit what your child can access or say that this person is not a full person. What it's going to do is it's going to give them access to so much more support to help them get to everything that they can do. And I think that that's a hard road to walk, and I think Tamara could probably speak to that a little bit of what it's like in that process, but there is this stigma that I think also just comes from people who don't understand what's going on. For example, if you see a child, who you give something to, and maybe they don't say thank you or they don't respond as you would expect to. The assumption that sometimes it would be that child is rude or is not appreciative or unthankful, perhaps they don't have words yet, and maybe the grunt or the gesture that they gave you is a huge accomplishment in a way that they can move. So I think more people understanding and knowing that there is a, a large amount of variance in what children with autism will present with and that it is – so strongly encouraged for people to look for board-certified behavior analysts to support a team uh, with efforts, because there's a lot, unfortunately, a lot of um, people who aren't certified who mm-hmm. will provide and give false um, information to families, saying that they can do what is considered now evidence-based treatment for this um, for autism, and I think that that can also contribute to the stigma because there's just uh, a misunderstanding, even to this point now, of what is best when you see this, when you get this diagnosis, and what it will look like when you have it, and what the future holds.
0: Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, will you talk a little about that initial diagnosis? What was that like for you and your family?
3: Yeah, yeah. He was he was pretty young. Um, We noticed that, and luckily we had a twin sister who was developing, um, I don't want to say normally, but, you know, on the typical milestones um, for a baby. And we noticed around that 18-month time that he wasn't talking uh, like she was. And we went to the pediatrician, and he kind of said, no, boys develop later. But he did give us a referral to a specialist. And then we eventually kind of determined that he was, could have had we didn't know for sure what it was but they didn't know how to diagnose it but they called it pervasive debu- developmental disorder or something like that and um and we kind of knew we were scared we were like okay he could have autism at first i have to be honest i i didn't want to label him with anything i didn't want to call him you know a child with autism or autistic um i was very nervous about it i had no experience in this i didn't know any any parents who had a child with autism or maybe I just, I didn't know the child had autism. I didn't know anything about it. So at first I was very skeptical and it, it took a little while for me and my husband to decide, you know, we're just going to, you know, like Carrie said, um, get all the services that we can get and label him whatever you want to call him, but we're going to get him help. It was, it took a while, but we realized pretty early on if we need to get him help we're going to have to get him help and whatever it takes you know we have to do it just took a while for us mentally to just embrace it and not be embarrassed and not be uh feel anything bad or negative about it but it t- it took a while but you know like i said um it's a, it's it's different for each family and um each child so it, it, you really have to feel comfortable with what you're doing um and and just just make a decision and go with it
0: hmm Marquisian, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have experienced in uh trying to support parents and families of children with autism?
2: Well, I think one of the uh, biggest challenges uh, uh is one, just when you when you enter when you enter someone's home, there's so many there's so many different variables. Um uh, uh when you you, you're at a school, or you're in a controlled. You know, being at home is not a controlled environment. There's so many things going on day to day, uh, so at times it can be difficult writing uh, a protocol, or coming up with something that's going to that's going to be able to be in, implemented uh, uh, throughout the day, or something that's throughout the whole day, or at school, or something that's going to be we're we're going to. Be able to show some consistency with Uh, So I think that's One I think too Uh, Another thing is that When you enter a home I I don't think Mm -hmm. that uh, When you have a program like this Everyone realizes that They are going to have to play a part In uh, You know uh, This program and whether Mm -hmm. it's a little Part or a big part uh, I think that's 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 one thing. You know, you have different personalities, different, uh, you know, mom and dad, mom, dad, sisters, brothers. Everyone has this personality, as well as the autistic child. Um, so it's a lot to, to take in and and to try to build protocols and, um, you know, just to, to help design programs that will uh, be helpful but is um, – how I say, but is um, but is uh useful for the the family. Uh, and just just weeding through uh, you know behaviors and things social things that are going on within the house and, and just putting those things in an order to find out which which things do we need to work on first. Uh, whether it's you know whether it's uh eating protocol. Or, or working on eating, or working on um, eye contact, or working on um, just social be- play play behavior. Um, mm-hmm. Finding out what what's uh, what's most important first. I think those are some of the difficult things that you that you come across when when you work at home. Um, yeah,
0: and then Marquisian, how do you prioritize those things? How do you know? Where to start? Whether to start with eating or bathroom or eye contact? How do you know where to begin?
2: Well, usually with learn, we we usually start. Uh, we'll usually have a, a couple uh, observations before we before we start uh, before we start uh, any kind of program or start really having sessions, uh, just to find out to see what what. Uh, Observe what's going on in the household, um, and then we we kind of have a, just a, a basic conference with meeting with mom, dad, and the family and, to find out what their concerns are. You know, because that really plays a, a big part in uh, uh, what we're going to what we're going to uh, do. But I I know one thing one big thing Carrie likes to, to hit on is is what uh, things that are dangerous. You know, if, mm-hmm. if there are we're having behaviors that are, uh, you know, uh, life threatening, or uh, or yeah, that are life threatening, then we definitely want to kind of address those things first, and then kind of go from there. So we uh, at Learn we tr- we try to help mom and dad uh, navigate those things. Uh, sometimes sometimes I think uh, uh, mo- mothers and fathers can sometimes get lost and not really see. And I think we we have learned uh, we, we we give them uh, a good idea of what's going on, what we see, and we we try to aid them in um, in just kind of breaking everything down and and mm-hmm. telling them hey, we can work we can we can work on anything uh, we can work on anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, that's, that's basically how we how how we do it. We, we kind of take you know it step by step and break it down and and that kind
0: of thing. Mm -hmm. Tamara, will you share with us some of the most precious moments you've had with your
3: son? Yes. um, Like I said, I think it's different for every child with autism, um, every parent who has a child with autism. But, um, you know, you really look forward to your child saying their first words, like mommy and daddy. And, you know, it took a long time for him to, to say that. So it makes it so much more special when they hit a milestone. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're still hitting milestones. <laughs> you know, he's nine years old. And mm-hmm. uh, and his sister reached most of them when she was in preschool, um, but before, or even before preschool. So when I fir- heard the first, you know, hi, mommy, um, or when he was able to use the toilet by himself, you know, fairly recently, when he could ask for a glass of water or just say goodnight, um you know it kind of made me make made me cry each time if i talk about it more i'm going to cry so i have to stop so <laughs> i i'm so proud of him and all the work he's done because you know it is work when when the tutors come you know even though they're playing games or you know doing exercises or going outside with a ball, it it is work for Serge. So he's been working mm-hmm. ever since he was like 18 months old. <laughs> you know, he was around mm-hmm. that age when we tried to enroll him in uh, the program in our county. So it, he's been working hard, and we know that. So um, it just makes him, me very proud. For and and those are the kind of the precious moments I will remember. So for mm-hmm. other parents, it may be something else, but for me, it's just like a hello or just looking him mm-hmm. looking in my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, very precious to me.
0: And what what advice do you have tomorrow for other other parents who are, you know, maybe today facing this this new diagnosis
3: of, of autism? What do you say to them? Well, I would say that the first thing you have to do is just love your child and understand that um, understand your child and be patient, because I think it is overwhelming when you get that diagnosis, and especially a person like me who had no experience in this. I was kind of shocked, you know. It was it was overwhelming for me and my husband, and the whole family actually. It impacted everybody, and so I would what I would do is definitely reach out to any support system you have. If you have a really close family or helpful family members or friends, or if you go to church and you you know really have a supportive um, network of people um, in your community, you know, reach out for them. Also, you need to educate yourself. If it's reading books. Or reading, you know, looking up internet sites, do whatever it takes to to understand what autism is, and and reach out to other parent groups, other parents who have children with autism, who will be supportive of your situation. And I, I, I got more information from other parents in similar situations than I think any book or any even internet. So it was very helpful for me to just talk to a parent with. With a child with autism, they kind of kind of been through it, so they kind of know what to go through. And I think this is very important, Allison. Um, Mm -hmm. Financial resources. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been lucky where you know both me and my husband work. We've been able to pay for a lot of additional treatment. Luckily, our insurance covered some of the additional treatment. There are families who don't have these kind of resources, so Mm -hmm. they need to do. Extra research to find out more about what they're eligible for, based on their income and based on their needs. And there's a lot of programs out there for these families. It's a matter of it takes a lot of time and effort, but it's you really have to to you really have to just take time and look for programs out there to help your child. They're out there. It's just a matter of getting these services for your child, and um, you may not be able to do everything, but. There are people and groups out there, nonprofit groups, that will help you. So definitely mm-hmm. pursue that.
0: Mm-hmm. Carrie, any any parting words for parents or educators who might be listening?
1: Um, I guess one of the biggest pieces that I think Tamara really um, gave some wise words and advice to families. Um, I would say definitely educate yourselves. I. Um, a strong, I'm a strong supporter of Autism Speaks. Uh, I think they have a lot of good resources and a lot of good information for families who are new to um, to a diagnosis to get some information because I would warn families that there's a lot of inaccurate information out there and false um, kind of sometimes areas and services that are looking more for profit than for help. Really... Um, work towards getting evidence-based treatment for your child, things that are proven to show substantial changes in children with disabilities. And that right now is applied behavior analysis, working with a board-certified behavior analyst, not just someone who claims to be ABA trained, um, making sure that those people are going to fall under ethical standards and guidelines that are going to really guide their practice for you. And and find a group that's a good match for your family. Not every clinician is going to be a great match. And, and to keep doing the hard work, because it is hard work, um, but the benefits that you can reap from the time that you put into it are going to make lifelong changes for your child. And that a team that supports you, that is able to meet your family where they're at and walk you through the difficult times and kind of work through the struggles that you have, is going to make the journey of really supporting your child with autism a little lighter because you're able to share the load and that everybody's strengths can contribute to one another to give an immense amount of opportunity for your child. And so I think that's my biggest encouragement is to work towards people, to try not to get distracted by some of these um, treatments that could be just really um, inaccurate for families and to go to valuable sources to be able to get good services.
0: Mm-hmm. Carrie Dillman is President and Lead Behavior Analyst at Learn Behavior Consultation Services. Markeesia McKinney ABA tutor there. You can find them at learnbehaviorconsult.com. Tamara Kasabian is mom to an autistic child. Thank you all for joining me this morning.
3: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
0: You are now officially certified know-it-alls about the autism about autism in children. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education, and Blog Talk Radio. My website is alisonbrownconsulting.com. Follow me at Alison R. Brown on Twitter and find ABC on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.